Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm really happy to catch up with Joshua Stewart, the host of the Mediocre Observer Podcast. So welcome, Josh, to MindShift Podcast. Hey, thanks, Clint. So good to be here. So good to see you again. Yeah, so we had a really good conversation. I think it must have been a good hour and a half for your show. Uh, I really enjoyed meeting you, talking to you. I think we met on the one of the Facebook pages, didn't we? And we kind of just talked a little bit back and forth and sort of had a lot in common. And I think we need to explore some of those commonalities around religion and religion and politics and all the stuff that's going on in America today. So I think we're going to have a really good conversation. Nice. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I apologize for dragging mine out for an hour and a half. I'm pretty long-winded, but <laughs> to that end, I, I can't tell you how much I look forward to letting my curmudgeonous old man flag fly. I've, I think I've been a 70-year-old trapped in a, in a 30-year-old's body forever ago. Now I'm at least 48. So the delta between my, you know, tendency to want to sit on the porch and yell at the kids to get off my lawn and the body that I occupy, it's it's narrowing over time, but I'm still that want to sit around wailing about the state of the nation and all that. So I'm I'm hoping we get a chance to do a little bit of that today. Oh yeah. Well, I, I I've said that to my my girlfriend before. I'm becoming Abraham Simpson, you know, I'm the old man running around in slippers, shaking his fists at the at the kids on the lawn and, you know, writing angry letters to people that don't want to hear about it. You know, so <laughs> Yeah, it's true. We we kind of have these rants, you know, don't we? Well, and the more you go into sort of the backstory behind some of the stuff that's going on, I mean, we were just talking about before we hit record. I mean, here we are. There's at least what four lawsuits that uh, that Donald Trump is facing, if not more, you know. And so there's a lot of backstory there. There's an inter- intersection of religion and politics. The evangelicals got behind behind Trump and are massively behind him, you know. So there's a lot to be pissed off about, isn't there? Yeah, you know, and and they say anger is a you know a secondary emotion, and I'm certainly full of that secondary emotion. But I, you know, in front of that, I think for me is just concern, which is a you know sanitized version of fear. But it's you know I'm I'm real concerned for the state of the nation that I still call home, and and for what has you know for the entire time I've been alive been the leading superpower in the world, and so when we are in this place and when we are uh this unstable here I, I think that has a destabilizing effect on the rest of the planet and opens the door for you know other other potential bad actors to uh you know usurp their authority and you know it's just it's a very scary time so i'm 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 worried about things and i do i, I get angry about uh the things that get us here the the apathy the laziness the unwillingness to read a bit and Google some stuff and try to identify real facts and check motivations and sources and our inability to parse information. I, I get mad at our electorate for that. And then I get mad at those in power who are capitalizing and exploiting that for what seem to be short-term gains at the expense of potentially burning down the country and ultimately the fucking planet. You know, really, yeah, literally. Yeah, it, it makes me mad, man. It makes me mad and concerned and um. Yeah. Well, so course, happy. Yeah. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Yeah. 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 It's good to see you. It only go up from here, really. Good day. Maybe down. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Where do we go? Well, this is the thing. I mean, thinking about there's so many responses. I was thinking when you were saying that because as a former evangelical Christian, you know, I, I grew up in the '60s, '70s, '80s, mid '60s. I was born, and I remember hearing that kind of message saying. Hey, why do we need to care about the environment? Why do we need to care? Because Jesus is coming back, man. You know, that's what's really important. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. So even on just a purely environmental sort of point of view, why should we care? You know, and we see that even now with the Republican Party, you know, who cares? We're just going to burn it all down. God's coming back again soon. So what's the problem? You know, so we're going to back Donald Trump because he's he's given us wins and that's all that matters. He's he's helping us achieve that dominion that we need. And you just kind of go from there, don't you? 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard for me to see how one can be, you know, present for this world, especially in a position of power to take care of the most people that you can and to be a steward of the environment, the planet, the resources, the people that live on it. Um, while you're really preoccupied with this, this afterlife idea and that, Hey, we're all going to be, you know, swept away and yep. raptured away. It's all behind anyways. It's well, yeah, no wonder you're not concerned about these longer term, you know, issues. Uh, you, yeah. why should we care <laughs> Yeah, we're out of here? Yeah. Well, even now there's a lot of evangelicals, certainly in America that are amped up about what's happening with Israel and Gaza because they're seeing that as a precursor to the end. I remember every time as an evangelical, every time something kicked off in the Middle East, that was the precursor of Armageddon. That was, you know, the end times are coming soon. And rather than being concerned about the the impact on the civilians and the people of Gaza and all the rest of it, we're, they're saying, well, great, this is actually good news that this is going to be the precursor. This is leading up to the end of the world here. So Jesus is coming back soon. You know, I mean, how could you look at that and say, this is actually good news? Good news for us, bad news for the people of Gaza. I think you described it when we spoke uh, a month ago or so as, boy, is, isn't that inconvenient? You know, isn't that <laughs> yeah, inconvenient? Right. A little Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, one of the things that I was alluding to is I get frustrated with our inability to think, to think critically, to think in nuance, to think long term, to to think in what I call if statements, you know, sort of if this, then that, then this, then that. And sort of let's, let's, let's get a few steps past where we are right this second, you know, let's get a few steps past the end of our own nose or, or whatever that is. And, um, I, you know, I have a tough time not viewing the influence of these major religions as a cap on critical thinking and, and a, and a limiting factor as, you know, belief systems are sort of installed in people, if you will, you know, download us. Yeah. As we, as we share the good news, you know, as we pass on this thing, we propagate this, this thing that was given to us that, Hey, a lot of people have had remarkable, you know, what they perceive to be spiritual awakenings and sort of epiphanies and all these great things and found great joy and relief through their pursuit of their religious, you know, endeavor. Um, I happen to believe those things are all available without the God idea, but hey, that's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes with good intentions, perhaps they will share this this good news, if you will. Um, but air I think quotes. air quotes. It comes <laughs> with the it comes with the limiting beliefs. It comes with the as you were just talking about, like oh, so when Israel's surrounded by enemies on all sides, you know, the end is near and, you know, they, they will call out the Lord's name and he will hear them. And this, this is good news. Well, part of the good news is two thirds of these Jewish people are supposed to perish in these battles. And the other third are going to convert to the, the right religion. And, you know, ah, how can you be sitting back and grabbing your popcorn for that? There are real people right now dying, Palestinians, Israelis, Real people just trying to go to school, have a job, raise their children, have a life, find some joy and laughter perhaps on this planet, and you're kicking back and rejoicing at their slaughter because this fits with some narrative that was written by people who died thousands of years ago. And we keep hearkening back to that text to live today's life by. And and I just, you, you can't be here and be there. And, and so when I, I get upset with the lack of critical thinking I see among our electorate, and it's hard for me to not draw a straight line from that to religious ideology, you know, that at least that contributes, certainly among the evangelicals, certainly among the, the Christians that, you know, well, yeah, but we've got this other belief system that we're operating under. You know, yeah, it's, it's going to be divergent from what you're watching and the atrocities you're seeing. They're not necessarily atrocities to us. What? How can they not be? What are you watching? Well, we're watching the thousands-year-old text. Oh, right. Okay. Or, or yeah, even older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, but it's sacred science, and it's one of them categories of cults. I mean, I I think we mentioned that on your podcast before. That one of the big influences on me as a former evangelical. It's when I started to realize that as a Christian raised in fundamentalism and everything that a great many of the sort of cult tactics had been used on me growing up and, and in the church and everything. 
And I came across Dr. Robert J. Lifton's books, uh, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. And that's one of the categories, isn't it? Sacred science. Every religion has its sacred science. If and Christian, Christianity is no different. They've got the Bible. So we've got our Bible that we can hold up and shove it in your face. And, you know, Trump's holding, the, <laughs> holding up the Bible upside down, you know, in front of the church in Washington. <laughs> yes. That, it's hard to know how books work. Nobody knows how books work, really. Yeah. You know, nobody knows. It's so complicated. <laughs> you know, someday we'll find the find out the truth. But you know, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's like you think, okay, we've got these sacred sacred text, sacred science, and a sacred space like Israel. Every every religion wants it: Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. So they've been fighting over it for thousands of years, and now, as you said, this is the precursor to the end. So Christians everywhere are getting excited. Weirdly, ironically, sadly, and. How in the hell does that happen? Well, and, and hey, there are there are a whole lot of dead people that were convinced they were going to be raptured out of here. Mm-hmm. This is this is not the first time that we were convinced. This is it. Here it yeah. comes. This are for sure. Really, this time, this is it for real. Okay. Well, well, well. You keep banking on that. I feel like there's good works to be done here now. There's things we ought to be doing now. Perhaps as if we might be wrong. Perhaps on the off chance we're wrong. Perhaps just in case, you know. Um, what if? What if? What if the mild possibility that, that, that <laughs> this isn't right, uh, we've we've miscalculated here, so. Made a huge mistake, as Job says, you know, on Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the question, I guess, what I was thinking about when we talked on your podcast, that a lot of this came out, this sentiment that, you know, we mentioned Christopher Hitchens' book, um, God is not great. And I said, okay, the thesis of that book is religion poisons everything. And, and he goes through and he demonstrates, you know, over and over conclusively how through history, religion has just damaged and held held us back and all that. But what's your motivation? Were you raised in sort of Christianity or belief systems of any kind? Why are you so passionate about it now? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm just a bitter, angry person, man. <laughs> right. I'm okay. Just, a, just twisted a- and bitter. I'm just an aggrieved cisgen white American, you know, middle class male who's got opinions on shit. Uh, but no, I get it out there. I do think that I, I care a great deal about humanity. Um, I, I really seem to, I, I, I want people to have opportunity to live, to be free, to be safe, to be secure, to find happiness and love and light and joy on this planet right now. Um, without fear um of any any sort of nastiness that that is uh unjust and, and unreasonable and diminutive and marginalizing and all that i'm just a bleeding heart liberal man i just want people to be okay and i want to i want to see ladders of opportunity for everybody i want to see some equity and some you know things like that um so in, in on the grand scheme of things that's how i feel i also am very much a connector intimately as far as one-on-one in my life, I, I so crave these very intimate, you know, meaningful connections in relationships where it's just chest open, authentic. Here's my whole self, warts and all. Where are you at? And we we share that with each other, and that leaves me often really disappointed as I engage humanity on a more intimate one-on-one, close-in level. You know, and in the abstract, I care about all these people. When I get in close, man, I find most of us deeply disappointing. And that is mostly because of the thinking or the lack of thinking, the lack of self-awareness, others' awareness that I that I witness in my fellows. Um, and I and I think as it relates to sort of politics, something as simple as the the J6ers, the the people who wanted to storm the Capitol. Mm-hmm. You know, I I assume not all of those folks are evangelical Christians. I suspect some of those didn't really have, you know, a religious ideology underpinning most of those actions at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them just really believe this election had been stolen. We're going to storm the Capitol. I, I guess I get to, okay, very much to me, kind of like electing Donald Trump seem like a, hey, let's chuck a grenade in the system. Let's let's yep. throw a chaos agent in there, uh, an outsider, drain this wall. Let's mix it up. You know, He's a businessman. He's not a politician. Yeah, I heard. I heard all that. So something when you're going to actively uh, try to interfere with and stop, presumably, the certification of an election, and therefore, I suppose, maybe install your own person. I guess I would imagine that would have been what's next. 
if that plan had had worked, I guess I look at an overthrowing of the government and the attending suffering and chaos and disorganization that follows and and the suffering that will that will fall the, the fallout that will follow that. You know, I, I had the privilege of of wandering the streets of Cairo um, mm-hmm. a few years ago, and that's a people who overthrew their their government. You know, the military backed them during Arab Spring, and they overthrew their Muslim Brotherhood sympathizer leader, and they kicked him out. And, and that boy, you want to talk about an edgy, edgy place to be? Mm. You know, these are a people who are willing to lay their lives on the line to try to take control of their country and have a say in their governance. And they are hungry to to run their own affairs. They're tired of being occupied. They're tired of being looted and pillaged and, you know, experiencing the the curse of their resources. And they want to have control of their lives and their livelihoods. But when they overthrew their their government, their currency is debased. Mm-hmm. There is rampant poverty. There's garbage everywhere. I mean, this used to be the pinnacle of civilization everywhere. And you enter the streets and it is fucking edgy. Bombed out buildings, turrets on every corner with long guns, bomb sniffing dogs, a number of various paramilitary groups around sort of guarding. I mean, it's it's edgy. It's edgy. You are cautioned by the US government before you go visit there. Hey, high rate of kidnapping, high rate of terrorism. You're warned against going here. I know you want to go there. And that's, I guess I kind of go, gosh, guys, I understand you're unhappy with how our government is. I'm not sure setting it all on fire with no solid plan following that is the way to go. I feel like we haven't quite got to the part where now what? Do we put moose horns in charge? The guy who was wandering around, <laughs> what are we doing? Like Hellman. Yeah, what do we, you know, and, and, and that's where I go, guys, come on, man. I'm all for for re- you know serious change for dramatic meaningful yeah. change but we also do have a legislative framework in place that with substantial unanimity there's nothing we can't achieve and that perhaps is the problem we are so deeply divided that we can't even agree on what reality is right now much less what we want to do as a country so that's that's some of the thinking that i see that concerns me a lot yeah. you want to blow it up okay for to what end do you yeah, just want end game yeah, do we just want chaos? Do we want all-out civil war? It's just a free-for-all in the country? I mean, yeah, there's anarchy. Yeah, yeah that's the, that's a good question. I've never really thought about that. So what if they had, quote-unquote, won and succeeded, whatever that looked like, on January the 6th? So what does January the 7th look like? You know, what yeah. happens then? Exactly. What's your government? What's your game plan? What's your end game? Where's this thing going? It was just yeah. burn it all down and fuck the system and we're pissed off and angry and all the rest of it. What happens next? You know. and, if, and if you're installing a person rather than electing them, the, well, term limits come with an elected official. So I guess there's no more term limits either. So yeah, throw that out. Trump forever? Is it, you know, now we're just going to have a succession of heirs to the throne? What, you know, I don't yeah. know. And I don't think they do either. There wasn't a plan here. It was just a, a demolition effort, not a plan. So imagine nope. Don, Don Jr. as the, as the next president. Oh, He's boy. the heir apparent, you know, then you got Eric yeah. after him. So yeah, yeah. But look at history. I mean, you mentioned Egypt. Look at the French Revolution. I mean, okay, I understand they were upset and angry about a lot of the stuff. They were being screwed over by the church and by the the uh, you know the ruling class. They overthrew it. They put the king to death. They chopped his head off with the guillotine. You know, I get it. They were pissed off. But then came the terror. Then came all this you know years of horrific stuff. Till you know finally you got Napoleon who came along and he was at least more stable. He was a dictator, you know, but at least he brought some stability. So yeah, what was the game plan? I don't think they necessarily had an end game other than just to burn it all down. They weren't thinking about how this is going to work out long term. Yeah, you know. So yeah, history does kind of give us some indicators of what happens when a country overthrows its ruling elites. Yeah, and I, I to some degree, I mean, I, I kind of wonder if Trump is the answer to America's collective daddy issues. Yeah. And that you know, there's this bizarre sort of fixation on just a a strongman figure, even if he's a colossal piece of shit, you know, he's just this misogynist, racist, Archie Bunker type obnoxious, grabbing him by the pussy asshole, but he's strong. We know where he stands, you know, and and when he, when he, when he takes the spotlight, he does sort of suck up all the oxygen and, and there is a, 
I guess I can see how to some, there might be a soothing effect to that because you know who's in charge. Mm. You feel like you've got some sense of daddy's home. It, you know, which I say, it, it's the grossest thought there is, I think. But <laughs> to some degree, like, yikes. You know, you think about people that have daddy issues, it's often because their daddy wasn't the best, you know, wasn't the mm. best guy, wasn't particularly present, wasn't particularly a great person. Um, but they spend the rest of their lives sort of chasing that sort of daddy figure who is very similar to the guy who abandoned them or womanized on mom or whatever the things you. were, you know? Yeah. And it's like, so now we want that again. Um, so yeah. I don't get it clearly. N never have. Um, <laughs> but I want to tell you, so you asked me about uh, how I came to care about religion at all. And, I, and I'm yes. going to tell you, I'm not yes. without, I know without my own experience, um, you know, I, I'm reminded of the, the phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, mm. I am a, a, a product of a pretty earnest multi-decade experience in a 12-step program, oh, right. which was, which, you know, was basically an offshoot of the Oxford groups, which were some holy roller, we're going to come through town and heal some people. These were some yeah. serious, you know, I will... Oh, hardcore, you know, hardcore stuff. Um, and and so these, you know, this this 12 step program as part of the the process. And I and I've got into this because I I wanted to quit drinking. You know, I really needed to needed to stop drinking. I was really had a serious problem with it. And I finally got to a point where I go, sure, I'll even try this acid on um, stuff, you know. So I so I jumped into it in, in with all the earnestness I, I I had. I mean, I was really, really in. And so I really tried um, to, you know, part of the, you know, process was that you come to believe that some power greater than yourself can mm -hmm. restore you to sanity. And so there's this sort of, you know, find, find a God of your understanding, right? That higher power. Yeah. And so when searching the, the, the searchlight over my, what was in my psyche, you know, kind of the closest I could find was this, this Christ figure that was mostly given to me by my grandma, who was a real you know, serious, uh, devout Christian and would send me all these, what I perceived to be guilt-filled letters about how I was failing, <laughs> failing my creator and God love him. Grab all, all right. handful of, Yeah. Yeah. Send me the, our daily bread. She would send oh, me a subscription yeah. to our daily bread that I don't think she could afford. I don't, you know, but the, she dedicated her life to this. And I will say she's one of these people that at least I respect it. She, she meant it, man. She, yeah. she fucking meant it. She bought it. She, she believed it. And she, thought she had an obligation to share that with me too. Oh yeah. So, they do it. I did. Yeah. When I was the evangelical man, I prayed for everybody and yeah, I did all that. Yep. Yeah. My family, coworkers, relatives, everybody. Yeah. It's true. And I and I at least respect the um the sincerity. You know, I, I think yeah. it's damaging. I think it's we're hurting people when doing that. But there is that. people who are doing it aren't usually thinking of it like that. So Yeah. But she They so, think they're helping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you need to get so, saved, man. You're going to hell and I need to get you saved. So to that end, when I was in a position where I believed I needed to find some God that I could sort of affiliate with and try to surrender my will and my life to, the closest I could get to was this God that I didn't really believe in. I had absolutely taken several runs of trying to read the Bible and read these passages she would send me and read our daily bread. I've, I've tried these things and I I couldn't get to a place. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really on board. However, I was terrified of picking the wrong God. I was yep. terrified that I was going to somehow affiliate with the wrong God and that would be the end of me. And now it's gnashing of teeth and lakes of fire. So that fear that is one of the more insidious components of Christianity that, you know, thou shalt not place any idols before me, you know, that you really need to, yep. I'm it. Don't even question it. Yep. So, so I tried that. I tried to affiliate with that. And I, and I actually pursued that. And I, and I will tell you, I think there was value in the seeking. I think there was value in my searching and seeking and trying to become available for something. But I was encouraged to go investigate and explore and read and learn this thing that I'm worshiping. And the deeper I got, the less on board I could stay. <laughs> right. The more I, you know, the more I read and the more I learned, I, you know, and I did eventually get to a point where I, I don't buy this. I don't believe any of this. This is trash to me. And uh, so I, I kind of, you know, went through this process where I kind of changed my belief, you know, or what I was attempting to to reconcile my will and my life with from 
some god figure, some sky daddy, some benevolent puppet master that was looking out for my everyday moves um, to trying to reconcile my will in life with the fundamental realities of the universe. I was I was attempting to sort of embrace what is and and sort of be more available to not finding everything to be a battle and a scrape and a fight and this desperate, you know, clamoring, mm. you know, trying trying to just recognize my work. Yeah, yeah. Just can I can I be more okay with where I am, who I am, how I am right now, and then shoot for better, you know? So mm. that's what I kind of moved towards. And then over time, man, I've I've become more and more atheistic in my beliefs to the point where, you know, I look at something as as remarkably effective for uh relieving an alcohol obsession and, and similar programs that help remove other drug obsessions and things like that. I look at it and go, you know, I'm I'm a pragmatist. I, I would challenge anybody to, you know, complete a, a full searching fearless moral inventory of all of the resentments they've ever had, their entire intimate relationship history of, of sexual relationships and any intimate relationships they've had, uh, all of their fears, cataloging their fears, asking themselves why they've had them, and then go share that all with another human, mm. all of it. You know, and this is common to most or to, you know, a lot of major religions is this confession idea that go, go let this out into the light. Tell me what you've done that's so awful that you're keeping close to the chest yep. that, separates you from me and separates me from you. And there is such value. And then go out and help other people do the same thing. You know, oh, actually go go make amends. Go pay back the money you stole. Go, mm-hmm. go, you know, try to do good works and be charitable and go participate in packing some goodness into the stream of life instead of stealing everything you can get your hands on. You know, there is such value in that. I don't think anybody can do all those things. And not grow and wake up spiritually and have some major shifts in in how they think, how they approach life. And I think you can do that without involving any sort of God in it. I think it's just practical, pragmatic. You go do these things, you're going to wake up. You're going to have a different experience of life and of yourself and better relationships with other people. It's going to happen. So I, I found myself as, a, as an atheist in this God-based, you know, 12-step environment. Yes. Right. What strikes me when hearing your story, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day, Tim Sledge, and he's written a book called Four Disturbing Questions with One Simple Answer, and it's all about, you know, why doesn't Christianity work? And one of the questions he says in the book, he asked in the book is, if Christianity is true, so taking it to your story, if you were a seeker, if the God or whatever it was, this higher power that you were seeking was the true God, why didn't it work for you? Because it should have. It shouldn't have. I mean, you were seeking, you were sincere, blah, blah, blah. Why the hell did it fail? And why does it fail? Why are there such uneven results for so many people across the world? It didn't work for me in the end. I spent a lot longer in it. But why did it fail? If that God is true, then why didn't it work for you? Yeah. Because it should have. And and the question of something sort of applying it to the false set program, if if this God is so powerful and, and necessary and loving and all that, why can't I just ask God to fix me and move on? You know, thanks, God. We're all done. Thank God that's over. You know, and, yeah. and no more drinking problem. Let's move on. And uh, flick of a switch. Yeah, that was that was not my experience. And, and the idea that at least the 12 step programs offer is that we have been self-reliant for too long and self-reliance has failed us. We need to start attaching our reliance to something bigger, something greater, something outside of ourselves, okay? Now, I don't argue that most alcoholics, most addicts need to turn the lens around from their incredibly self-centered, I need, I want, I need, I want mentality outward. Yeah. But I don't know that that needs to go to a God figure. It needs to go to my fellows. It needs to go out. How can I be of assistance? How can I be present in this world to help others as opposed to what do I want? What do I need right now? Um, and again, I just think some of the the God stuff is is an unnecessary detour that's been appended to to this very effective process along the way. So, yeah, and there's a lot of, um, you know, it seems baked in, in my view, it seems baked into sort of the Christian doctrine, right? Is that we are all doomed to fail, right? We are all absolutely sure. certain to fall short 
of the um the glory of God. That's what it says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. And so we constantly need to repent. We constantly need to be asking forgiveness. We constantly need to be, you know, trying to seek to improve just so that we can be worthy of of this God's love and and of uh redemption and all this. And I what a way to live. I mean, man, I you know, I yikes. I, I'm already a little hard on myself at the end of each day. I don't know that I need to be groveling for mercy and forgiveness because I wasn't Christ-like all day. Or I mean, fuck, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever the hell that means, yeah. We'll be back in a few minutes with the second half of this conversation with Joshua Stewart from the Mediocre Observer podcast. Hope you're enjoying that. This is actually going to be the last episode of Mindship Podcast for 2023. So I hope you're enjoying this chat with Joshua. But I've got some fantastic stuff coming up in the new year. We're about ready to take our break for the holidays. And I hope you have a great Christmas and New Year season. But I'm already working hard on bringing you some great content for January and February of 2024. As I'm doing this recording now, I'm going to be interviewing author Sarah Hayward. She's actually no relation to David Hayward, the naked pastor who was just on the show. But I was introduced by a good friend of ours, David Morris, who was on the show not long ago. She's got a book called Giving Up God, and that's come out on David Morris's Lake Drive book. So I'm really looking forward to connecting up with Sarah. That's going to be, as I say, tonight as I'm doing this recording now. And then after I talk to Sarah, I'm doing another collaborative episode with Rachel Bernstein of the Indoctrination podcast. This has been a long time coming. We've been working on trying to set this date up. And it's finally going to happen toward the end of December. So that'll be coming out as well in early January. Then I'm also finally connecting up with another good friend, Peter Montgomery of the Right Wing Watch. Again, this has been a long time coming. Peter and I have got a lot to discuss, especially with developments in the sort of Trump evangelical MAGA world, the appointment of Mike Johnson as the Speaker of the House for the Republican Party. So there's a lot of developments going on in the Christian right. So I'm going to be really interested to catch up with Peter and see what he's been working on since I talked to him last. And then finally, I made another really interesting connection with a guy named Jonathan Davis. He, like me, is an ex-pastor, ex-Bible college teacher, ex-evangelical, walked away from it all. So we will undoubtedly have a lot to talk about. So some really good stuff coming up in the pipeline into January, February 2024. And then finally, I want to give a big thank you to all the Patreon supporters who have stood with me this year. Thank you for your support of the show. It means a great deal. If you want to support Mindship Podcast on Patreon, as always, the links to that are in the show notes. So have a look there if you want to support the show. And then speaking of Patreon, one of the great benefits you get for being a supporter of the show is you get to have access to our closed Mindship Zoom calls. We do these once a month, usually about the third Sunday of the month. We're going to be scheduling those again starting in January, starting out with Catherine North. And she wrote that book, The Holy Heathen. Now, unfortunately, we were not able to schedule that in back in November. So we're going to book her in in the month of January. She'll be our first MindShift Zoom call for 2024. Then I'm going to try to see if I can get Joshua Stewart maybe to come back in February. So we do these every month. Really great calls. A good chance for you to meet some of the guests that I've had on the show. Chat with them for about an hour. So again, a really good benefit for supporting the show on Patreon. All right, having said all that, let's get on back into the second half of this conversation with Joshua Stewart from the Mediocre Observer Podcast. We're going to continue to explore this question, why Joshua might have been terrified to pick the wrong guy. I mean, you look at some of the the things that Jesus said, for example, you know, he taught that according to the gospel anyway, and if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's just as if you've had sex with her. You know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand does something to cause you to go astray, chop it off. You know, I mean, these are very disturbing things, aren't they? Disturbing teachings from a guy who is revered as this kind of guru and all the rest of it. But yet that, that like I say, it's baked into the religion of Christianity because I can remember as an evangelical thinking I may have thought a bad thought and therefore committed a thought crime, as it were, a thought sin against God for which I needed to repent. So at the end of every day, at the end of every week, I'm repenting, I'm begging for forgiveness. It's so self-destructive. It's so damaging to your own, you know, self-image and your own health, healthy ego process and your own, dis- you know, discovery and growth. 
like you said, it's really messed up when you step back and look at the actual dynamics that are at play here. Yeah. Well, and I, I would be an eyeless, handless person mm. uh, had I been following that instruction. <laughs> you can't follow it. That's the joke of it. No Christian does because I should have plucked my eyes out a long time ago. I should have you know, kept my hands out a long time ago, but no one ever does. You don't sell everything and give it to the poor, but that's what Jesus to- told us to do as Christians. You know, but no one does it. So why? Why? And it reminds me of a good buddy of mine. I went when I was in Seattle years ago. I went out to lunch with him, and he he and I went to Christian school together. We grew up in church. I hadn't seen him in probably twenty five years. And I said, "So where are you at with the you know the whole faith thing?" And he goes, "Well, you know, I've kind of given all that up." He said, "When I go to church now, if I do go occasionally, I'll ask the people there." He said, "He says, tell me three three concrete examples of things that you do in your life." that follow the clear teachings of Jesus and they can't do it. And he says, until you can do that, then maybe I'll, I'll see some sense here, but you can't even give me three, let alone one. So it's impossible. It's just lip service. Really. It's all sounds good, but it's, it's bullshit in the end, isn't it? To me it is. And I, you know, I think that a lot of us can conflate and confuse religious ideology or religious doctrine with morality. And, you know, I don't necessarily care what the ultimate actual teachings of of Christ were. I do care how I've lived. I do. I do care um, about your legacy. I I guess not that anyone's going to be looking at my silly old my legacy, but (laughs) you know about am I okay at the end of the night when I when it's time for me to get ready for bed. Do I feel all right that I wasn't abusing people, you know, stealing from people, marginalizing, you know, being diminutive to people, any of those nasty, shitty things? I, I, I don't want to be that. I don't. That's not what I want to be bringing to this world and to the people in it. Um, I'm. I guess to some degree. I mean, I, I would like to know that I was decent, that I was reasonable that I was available for people that sought to me for whatever reason, when they were suffering or hurting or felt like they needed to talk or were struggling, man, awesome. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. And I'm not nearly as concerned with, you know, what I did for a living, you know, or or any of that stuff. It's, it's those moments where I get to maybe be of genuine use to another human being that are, that are really valuable to me. And I try to do that on a slightly larger scale uh, through things like podcasting and sort of sharing some of my thoughts that I hope occasionally might move somebody in a positive, more useful, more reasonable, uh, compassionate direction. Um, you know, and then certainly when we're in close, if I have a chance to do those things, I'd like to do that too. And I guess that's, that's more important to me than what some imaginary, you know, being in in the sky thinks about how I did today. Um, you know, and do you need that being to be that become that person? Do you need that God? Can't you just do that? You know, you have to be an asshole. No, you don't have to be. You could be nice. You could be, you know, helpful and welcoming. Well, you mentioned earlier you, you were alluding to this idea of you know proselytizing, and that's baked in as well to most religions. But since Christianity is my sort of background, I can remember. The idea of, quote unquote, doing good deeds for other people, there was a string attached to that. And there's an insidious element to this whole thing, because I wanted to build relationships with my neighbors when I lived in Portland, Oregon, when I was the pastor of a church there, because it was it was an avenue by which to preach the gospel. You know, so there was an evangelistic element. So everything I did, there was some sort of hidden string attached to it, which sounds really bad now because I, I like helping people, you know, yeah. so. But I was I was thinking, well, I got to do this for my neighbors so that I can build a relationship with them, so that eventually I'll win their trust, so that I can tell them about Jesus. You know, so you can't even just be a good person because you're always thinking, how can I slip the gospel into every crack in my conversation? And that's that's really messed up. It really is. And and I I suspect Clint that that at your core. You do have an interest in helping us. You yeah. would you would like to go help your neighbor with X, Y, and Z, with or without the gospel component. But you were in that belief system. You were very much in that ideology. That also, though, have you heard about Jesus? You know, <laughs> oh, we're patching your fence. Yeah, 
uh, you know who liked fences? Jesus was a carpenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, let me tell you. And of course, everyone knew I was the pastor of the local church, so it's hard. To, it's hard to just be normal in that context, anyway, because they're they're kind of wary already because they're thinking, "Oh boy, here we go. He's going to invite us to church." The funny thing is now. I mean, like you said, I love helping people. And I, my girlfriend says, you know, you just, all you do all the time, that's what you do. I'm, I'm a very helpful person, um, but I don't have those strings attached. And that's incredibly liberating to just go, you know what? I can help someone if I have the means by which to do that. And that's, that's all it is. They just need help. I can help them. And that's the end of it. Maybe someday they'll be in a position to help me. Maybe not. It's not about, oh, I'm, I'm putting scoring points here. So you got to, you owe me now. It's just, it's a liberating thing. So that's got to be a hugely rewarding sort of piece to the the non-religious side of it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and I, I think from where I stand, my my brain, I'm, I am so disposed to being so very self-centered, so very um, hypersensitive, self-centered, everything hurts and it's all about me. And I'm, you know, this is all stuff that fuels sort of addict, alcoholic sort of behavior. Um and it's very common in my observation to addicts and alcoholics. And one of the best ways to interrupt that, and this is where I'm self-centered in my altruistic efforts, uh, is to go go help somebody with some other problems. You know, um, mm. go go help somebody with some real problems. You know, uh, get out of my fucking head. Stop, you know, putting on the love me jacket and playing with my own diaper for a minute. You'll see if I could be of use to someone else. Um, and if nothing else, it gives me a pause and a reprieve from staring at my own shit long enough. And I can just get a little bit of, huh, that was nice. And, mm-hmm. you know, rewarding. Right. And, and so I am reminded of, of an adage that I have liked is there's, there's no wrong reason to do the right thing. You know? Yeah. Great. I get a little bit of goodness out of it. You get a little bit of goodness out of it. I'm helping me by helping you. Okay, cool. And as you say, there's nothing attached. You don't owe me one, whatever. Um, you know, I, I will say, I, I think that when there's, when your life is saturated with and dominated by this need to to proselytize and spread the gospel, I don't know that anything is unaffected by that. Everything's an opportunity to, you know, we talked about the the outreach programs that that churches do and stuff, the Sotin Ball League, the soup kitchens, the Oh yeah. All of the things all of that are so good. Uh, yeah, so good. Seemingly so good. And, and hey, they're good things on yeah, the face. Nothing Let's wrong meet with some it. poor people. Love that. Play some softball. But also, hey, you know, Sundays we've got this thing. Yeah. You want, you know, and uh <laughs> and it's just yeah. Ah, can, can 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 we just do good works? Can we yeah. just do good works? And and man, maybe there's degrees of motivations, right? Maybe my motivation seems more okay because it it just makes me feel good to do some good works. And there's motivations that I find a little grosser, like you know, yeah, makes you feel good, and you're spreading the word of Jesus, which is actually damaging. Ah, you know, that's too far. Oh uh, so, wait, one bridge too far. Yeah. Why'd you have to go there, Josh? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to sign up for the church softball league. I think that's what I hear you say. Yeah, not not this year. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to sit out, sit out this year. year, sit this one out. I will tell you just just very recently, someone I care about was, um, you know, emoted over a you know recent you know breakup in a relationship, and was you know wanting kitty and and talking about joining a, a church that you yeah. know I don't believe she particularly has any religious interest it really is just this convenient community make some contacts make some friends maybe find a good good christian man you know what all those things that i understand and yeah it seems hard to look around the landscape of america and think of what better place to do that with the glaring exception of the ideology that is, oh, wait, there is permeates. That. There is the one thing. Oh yeah, permeates the entire thing. And I just, gosh, can can we have these community events without that? You know, can we can we have locations where we have art classes and music classes and sporting events and you know these public centers where we just have the community come one come all. It's not about religion at all. We're not just non-denominational. We're just not religious. We are completely, you know, devoid of any of that. We just want to play softball. Come play softball, you know? Yeah, just build community. What's wrong with that? Helping your neighbors. That Literally, that's it, isn't it? 
I mean, there are things like that. You could join, you know, humanist societies and there's Sunday assembly, I think it is, which is sort of like an atheist quote unquote church that meets on Sundays from like 10 to noon and all that, you know, and they don't sing hymns and they, you know, it's just about getting together and having a good time and building community and building relationships and, 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 you know, coming together without, like you say, the religious component. So you, there are, there are those things available. Um, there's one not far from me. I never ended up joining it because it was just too far away, but I really wanted to get involved in that just because I thought, you know, what's wrong with finding community, building community without the religious component. Let's take that insidious, you know, doctrinal piece aside. Let's pull that out of it and maybe things will be better. But isn't that a, a great example of how so many of us in America that grew up here that didn't grow up in some other religious affiliation um, just kind of default to, well, maybe I'll just go to church like this, yeah. like it's like it's just a bridge club or something. Well, it's a fucking church. I mean, there's yeah. the whole point of the church is religion and it's a specific uh-huh. religion and it's preaching the religion. I mean, but we just go, ah, I'll just go to church to go, you know, maybe need a man, you know. What? That's a weird, weird reason to go to that, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like I'd, I'd really probably put the ideology that you're going to go steep yourself in maybe is a little more critical than who you might also happen to meet there. Who's also steeped in that ideology? Exactly. Is this an ideology I want to be immersed in? And do I want to be affiliated or, you know, bringing into one of my most intimate relationships a person who is in that ideology? And maybe so. But it's probably an important question. It's probably not just a passive, what the heck? Let's just go become. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. What's the (laughs) worst that could happen? Yeah, yeah. Go to church. (laughs) Become a Christian. Yeah. Save the world. Nothing bad's ever come over religion. Nah, no. That's (laughs) never done any, started any wars, Spanish Inquisition. None of that. We'll just kind of pass over that. Well, there's another element to this thing, too. We talked about the Christian nationalist piece because I, in all my research into the sort of dominionist angle, I've noticed maybe 20, 30 years ago that there's been a big sea change. And that is, you know, the Christianity I was raised in, it was it was about proselytizing and evangelizing. And you went out and knocked on your neighbor's doors. They handed out flyers and leaflets and tracts and all that kind of stuff to try to save the individual person. Uh, but this last maybe 30, 40 years, it's been about, OK, no, we're not into that anymore. We don't care about that so much. What we want to do is take political power. We need to Christianize America. I was just reminded, I, I saw a clip on the Right Wing Watch website on or on YouTube this morning, and I shared it in our Facebook group. Uh, the new GOP speaker, Mike Johnson, he was speaking at one of these Christian lawmakers assemblies just shortly, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, God has told me that I'm the new Moses, and I'm here to lead our nation through a Red Sea moment. And, you know, he was like going on and on about all this rhetoric. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, Christian Lawmakers Association, that's kind of who he was speaking to. And he's saying all this nonsense about God has been telling him for the you know few weeks leading up to him becoming the new speaker that something big is going to happen. Just wait and trust me and blah, blah, blah. And wow, he's the new Moses. You know, I mean, that's the guy that's leading the Republican Party in Congress right now. So what's happening there? I will tell you, I don't remember ever, even in my most, you know, sincere pursuit of of any sort of religion thinking i was hearing god tell me things yeah audibly it 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 worries me a bit that we have you know people at such positions of power that believe god is directing them guiding their you know yikes okay um hope you're tempering that with regardless of what you think god said what are the ramifications of the policy because i really i don't really care so much about all that you know i'm really concerned with what are you doing and what are the impacts going to be on the people that are going to be impacted by it? And I also, boy, what a self-aggrandizing fucking statement, man. No, by default, by the fact that you are the least unpalatable guy, apparently in this room yeah. full of fucking crazy people, you managed to to ascend to the you know speaker of the house. Let's not starting to compare ourselves to these mythological, biblical fucking heroes. You know, stop, stop it. You're just let me Mike stop Johnson. you right there. <laughs> yeah. You're just fucking Mike Johnson, the guy who's on the porn app with his kid. Okay, yeah. stop, dude. I, <laughs> yikes, yikes. And I, but this is the guy again. Apathy is what we got. Well, and I think it's the result of us, you know, the the electorate not paying a lot of attention, not being willing to dig and look and read and 
and care about local elections, uh, care a lot about who we send to Washington um, to represent our districts and um, and not paying attention to policies, particularly those that don't directly immediately impact me. Right. We, and, and so we sleepwalk through, you know, stuff in the courts with religious zealots and, and people like this who then immediately roll back stuff that affects millions of Americans, but not me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, don't love it, but let's move on. You know, yep. no, this is this matters, man. And it, so I do. I, 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 I'm, I'm mad at us that we let these things happen. I'm mad at us that we seem to be so unthinking that we are sending the the Lauren Boberts and the the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gateses and the Ted Cruzes of the world. Hey, the Mitch McConnells, the more serious, oh, yeah. still dangerous people like the Mitch McConnells and the Kevin McCarthy. You know, ah, yikes! Mm-hmm. You know, we we have an obligation. We we have this wonderful self governance experiment going, and I think that so many of us were born into it that we sort of really take it for granted and and just sort of accept that, you know, this is just how it is and this is how it'll be. And if Trump gets it, oh, it won't be that bad. And, you know, boy, it yeah. did get real bad before. Yeah. And every indication is going to get way fucking worse mm-hmm. this next time. And to sleepwalk into it, especially with these ideas, like, well, but my vote doesn't really matter. Or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, just, yikes. Only yikes. one vote, yeah. yeah. And again, we got, you know, there are people... We're not really well read, I don't think. We don't really learn a lot about other cultures and other countries. We hear little sound bites. We believe things that were told by these political leaders that have megaphones. I, I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I saw some of the most sincere people that I spoke to in Cairo because I, I have these conversations when I get to travel too. I ask people mm-hmm. about their lives and what they think of yeah, the government. Right. Yeah. And talking to these folks in Cairo, man, they were sincere about you know wanting wanting to uh you know create their own system of self-governance they were quite literally willing to lay their lives on the line mm-hmm. to to create a system that had some justice and equity and and you know all all of the good stuff that we over here seem to be just perfectly happy to just kind of watch it watch it drift away maybe hand it off to a authoritarian leader um, and that is how a democracy dies, isn't it? Is it's from within. It's it's not it some, it's not marauding brown people heading towards our southern border that are destroying us. It's us. We're just sleeping through the end of our country as we've known it, and we may not know it until we're in the new the new reality, and then we're going. Oh fuck! We had a thing. We had a thing that we really just kind of gave away, and that's the concern. You know, we're just too lazy and apathetic to to care enough. And, you know, we even listen to somebody like, like Hillary, you know, mm-hmm. a, 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 a serious states person. She was a serious mm-hmm. candidate. She yep. knows some stuff, man. She's been yep. in the room. Yep. She knows Got her a lot room. of experience. Yeah. Knows some stuff. You may not like her. You may not want to have a beer with her. You may thought she was shrill or whatever, but boy, you ask Trump, and Hillary, the same question about foreign policy in a specific remote nation that most Americans couldn't identify on a globe. And she's got a lot to yeah. tell you about foreign relations, how our relationship with them is, who supports yeah. us, who's on, you know, she knows all that yeah, stuff. She's got the context. Right. Yeah. And and then you listen to somebody like Trump and he's, you know, well, they're just, you know, a different religion of brown people that we're yeah. going to ban, you know, and just these gross. Word salad. Yeah this binary good bad thing and it's it's a lot more complicated but we're so lazy we don't want to google these things and we would rather the guy who makes things so digestible and so good bad right wrong you know black white for us most of this stuff is not that way we need to think in nuance we need to think in complexities and that's why we need to thoughtfully elect our trusted servants because we don't have time with our jobs to do all that so that's why we need serious people in the room but I'm I'm afraid that too many of us just don't care, just don't think mm-hmm. that matters, you know. Yeah, it's not hurting me personally, at least not right now. You know, uh, what's the problem? As long as I can watch my NFL and my this and that, and who cares? You know, I've got my things I can do. Well, I think there are some resources for people because I'm reminded there's a good series. I think it might be a BBC series. I think it's called The Dictator's Playbook, uh, and there's another book called Dictators, which is a similar thing. 
and she goes through and she talks about can't remember who wrote it but uh she talks about all the various sort of think tactics that dictators have used like stalin mussolini hitler uh paul pot some of these people modern day 20th century dictators and then she compares them to guys like donald trump you know and he's doing the same thing he's using the same dictators playbook that so many have successfully used to manipulate the public to get their message across create a cult of personality you know yeah. denigrate the media the, en- the enemy of the people all this kind of stuff those you know statements that trump made and is now making even more strongly those are all straight out of the dictator's playbook. So, you bet. You know, people need to wake up. This is serious stuff we're talking about. It's not just like, oh, well, it's not going to happen to me. It can't happen here. Oh, yeah, it can. It it's, has it's happened. Happening. Other, yeah, it's it is happening. happening. And yeah. it's happened in other places. You know, Italy, Germany, so many other places. It did happen. And yeah. they kind of, in a way, slept, walked into that too, didn't they? You bet. Yeah. Hey, Hitler was an extremely popular candidate. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned... Um, you know these things don't don't necessarily affect me now yet. Exactly. I well, can't see the effect right now today. Right, and I I tend to look at trajectories, right, mm-hmm. and and uh, looking at, for example, the trajectory of the Supreme Court ideologically. Where do we seem to be headed? And you'd mentioned this Christian nationalism stuff, and, and yep. boy, you know the the rolling back Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. And, and reversing 50 years of settled precedent upon precedent. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that, w- that was, first of all, the first time in U.S. history that a settled civil right has been stripped away. First time in U.S. history that we started going backwards and in, in removing mm-hmm. rights that people had enjoyed for that long and um, effectively railing against stare decisis, which is effectively a, a doctrine that people ought to be able to rely on the court, that only in the most egregious situations when something was so horrifically wrong and backwards are we going to reverse settled uh, precedents. And in all of the justices that that supported rolling back Roe v. Wade all sat in front of Congress and said, oh yeah, no, stare decisis, yeah, it's settled precedents, small precedents. And then they got in there and what did they do? The first chance they had, they reversed it. They lied to us. They lied to the American oh, public. And Trump knew when he appointed them what they would do. And so oh, did sure. his supporters. Well, Thomas, Clarence Thomas, in that opinion, in the Dobbs decision, threw up a flare gun and effectively said, send me a, an opportunity to overturn uh, Griswold, which is the uh, the birth control mm-hmm. uh, right case. So you think the abortion case didn't affect you, white American males? Wait until... The Christian nationalist agenda successfully manages to roll back the right to contraception in America mm-hmm. because that's the next frontier on this whole unborn baby, sacred life, nobody interferes with with that mm-hmm. process thing is. And, and this isn't something I'm imagining. You can read the decision. He very clearly said that effectively... Any other case that was based on this this right to privacy, which was this this birth control case that that the government doesn't have a right to go rifling through your your medical records, so therefore what you do in your doctor's office between you and your doctor, well, he's saying send me a case on this because the same precedent we used to overturn Roe v. Wade is in fact the exact way we will mm-hmm. overturn your right to contraception, even if you're married, you're married and you have eight children, and your wife might die. If she tries to carry another baby, sorry, God gets to decide whether mm-hmm. she gets pregnant or not. You don't. Yeah. That is coming. And I know that sounds hyperbolic and crazy. I'm not, he threw up the flare gun and oh, yeah. in the decision said, throw me a case on this. We're ready. We're ready to rule on this because we've got the majority. We will overturn your right to contraception. That's where we're going. And so the trajectory of the court. They recently ruled in the 303 creative case that that you uh, that a web designer in Colorado can refuse to make wedding websites for gay people, mm-hmm. which rails against public accommodations laws that says if you're going to hang a shingle, you don't get to say no Jews, no yep. blacks, no gays. Well, now you do. Yep. Now as long as you have religious reasons, quote unquote, behind it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's it. You so should claim religious the- precedent. Yeah. So that's the direction we're going. So the trajectory mm-hmm. frightens me a lot because it yeah. seems to be eroding civil rights, mostly targeted at people who are already historically marginalized. 
poor people, people of color, particularly women of color, mm. um, you know, people who we've had our feet on their necks for long enough. And we're like, you know, they're getting a little uppity again. Let's 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 roll back some rights and see if we can put our feet firmly back on their necks. Mm-hmm. And all I can figure is it's this this fear mongering that has been highly effective that, hey, they are coming to take what's yours. Mm-hmm. They are going to take your job. They're going to rape your wife. They're going to sell your kids fentanyl. They are they are going to turn your kids gay. They're going to turn mm-hmm. your kids into trans people. Huh? I mean, what? I'm, you know, no, none of this makes sense on its face, but, but it of, works. Of, it's working. Yeah. Fear, fear is an absolute great motivator. One, I think there's another aspect to what everything you were just talking about, this idea of the quote unquote, the family, you know, whereby if they can define what the family should look like to, you know, white, preferably uh, heterosexual couple, one man, one woman, that then starts to, then you've got to have children that are protected in that context. So you can't have an abortion. You can't have contraception. As many kids as are, as are possible to, you know, God's going to allow you to get pregnant and all that. And there's no, there's no gay marriage. There's no trans marriage. You know, th- then they can start to go, right. That doesn't fit our pattern. And it's all, all they can start ticking a lot of stuff off. Can't they? By saying the family is this, this is the model that we're yeah. upholding Focus on the family, you know, family uh, research council, those are all Christian right organizations. They're, a lot of those guys were behind the law pushing uh, to, to overturn Roe versus Wade. You know, So these Christian right groups were part and parcel of all that, pushing yeah. Trump. They were all pro-Trump. You know, So yeah, we're, I think we got a lot to, to think about for sure. And these, these movements, these major reversals and these, these big cases that uh, on these social issues um, that I think are shocking... To, to so many people, when you look at the, like we just said, most of these don't impact me right now. Why is it that, that this took front seat to so many other things that do affect me mm-hmm. right now and you and everyone else, you know, and maybe not you because you don't live here anymore, but you know, <laughs> directly. But, I mean, something like healthcare, like fixing our busted ass healthcare system, you know, that if the American public was actually informed about Almost every other Western nation's far more effective, far more affordable healthcare systems, we'd be jumping at it. But we are instead wrapped around the axle about some drag queen that read a story to kids, and we better put a stop to that before they all turn into drag queen toddlers or whatever we think is going to happen next. Um, We have been convinced that the courts and Donald Trump and, and Mike uh, Johnson are going to solve these real problems that are real threats to you really today. And they're just not, they're just not, I, 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 I have observed so many conversations about trans people and people concerned about trans people and trans people in schools or in public restrooms or all of these things. And I mean, I've, I've asked several of them, like, when was the last time, to the best of your knowledge, you even were in front of a trans person yeah. at all? No one. Saw a trans person, communicated, yeah. certainly had any dangerous interaction in a restroom that threatened your, you know, security or safety. I mean, when did this happen to you? Yeah, give me one just, example. It's yeah. just one. And it just didn't. It just hasn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Not not a problem. We've been convinced these are the biggest problems facing us. And so as a result, we're wrapped around the axle, moving things in a direction that in theory, allegedly is going to please God. But in real time right now, it's hurting real people in America right now um, while we are ignoring all of the things we could be, should be dedicating resources and energy and public discourse to because we're too busy worried about turning gay. Mm. It's 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 wild. It's yep. just absolutely wild to me. It's true, but I, I I relate it back to what you were talking about earlier, the Christian nationalist piece, because if homosexuality and abortion and all these you know LGBTQ rights and all that, if those are the things that are making God angry, we have to stop them, because that's why America isn't getting blessed anymore. You see, you can interpret the whole thing according to the Christian nationalist dogma, and once we stop those things, we make them illegal. God will will turn America back into a Christian nation and God will start blessing us again. So you see, it's a win-win, Josh. That's what it's all about. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I seem to get on board. I don't know why I'm so reluctant yeah, to join. Yeah, get the on the train. Get on the Trump yeah. train for a start. Well, listen, we got to wrap this thing up. I know we said we were going to talk for about 45 minutes, but it's gone a bit longer than that. But it's been a great conversation. I knew we were going to have a, a wide-ranging chat. We we definitely hit a lot of things, didn't we? But I was going to say, where can people find you on social media? Give us the, the name of your podcast again. Where can people yeah. find it? Uh, well, folks can find me at themediocreobserver.com. And there you can find links to writing and articles and a book and my podcast. And, uh, you know, Clint was a guest on my podcast or to any of your listeners. Uh, if you want to hear the tables turn, come and come and listen to a great conversation with Clint uh, where he schooled me a good deal. Uh, not in a mean way, just I, I was very interested in talking to a guy who's so learned about, um, you know, some of these things that I get so hot and bothered about. And he actually knows these things from experience and from studies and from teaching for so many years. So it was a great conversation. Um, and you can check that out there at the mediocreobserver.com. You'll find links to all that stuff. All right. Is that the best place to find it? Then are you on X or any other platform? Oh, my podcasts are all over. Uh, you yeah. can find them on uh, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Yeah, you can look up the Mediocre Observer Podcasts on any of those. But if you just go to my website, you'll find links to them as well. Right. Okay. So that's the best place to find you then. Listen, Joshua, thank you so much. This has been great. I'm really glad we had to return. We got to return the favor and have you back on my show because I had a wonderful time talking to you. I have to say, a fantastic, wide-ranging conversation. I really enjoyed it. So We'll have to do this again. Let's touch base again, maybe sometime in 2024. We'll see how things are going. Oof, boy, that's a terrifying thought. Yeah, and, uh, I look forward to it. Okay, thank you so much. Take care, and I will speak to you again. All right, really good to talk to you. Thank you.